Hi everyone, it's Joel and Andy on the Stay Hungry podcast. Today we're going to be talking about self-confirming bias in marketing. Andy, close one, you couldn't hear me then. Oh, I can hear you now, loud and clear. Self-confirming bias, fucking hell, that sounds big. Your idea. Oh, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, no, but we just said it was, but in hindsight it's not. Self-fulfilling prophecy is like whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Self. Henry Ford? Yes. Self-fulfilling bias, as I understand, is if you believe something, chances are you will only consume the information that uh, backs up your belief. So easy one in today's society. If you're a Daily Mail reader, you're probably slightly right-leaning and you're backing up your right-leaning beliefs. If you're left-leaning, maybe you're a Guardian reader and the Guardian will back up your beliefs. I'm supposed to be the one that generalises, John. It's pretty, pretty, but but like we know plenty of entrepreneurs who'll get a Guardian, a Mail, and a Times, and then try and get a rounded view, and that's that's kind of the generalist point I'm trying to make. This friend of my mum's popped round, and and he said, "Oh yeah, I was reading this article in the day in the in the, in the Daily Mail this morning," and he's quoting from it like it was the Bible. And it was oh my god, you can see how they have such a a, a loyal backing. Obviously, not my property at all. Um, but that's what happens, isn't it? Sometimes when you're when you're allowed your device, you will get these disciples behind you. Which is why, to be honest, it's become a popular marketing route. I know some people who whose sole marketing strategy is about being divisive, and they're actually the loveliest, nicest people you've ever met in the world. But you wouldn't think so on their social media. So, uh, do we see this in marketing? Self-confirming bias, for example, a business comes to us and says, "Right, I want you to do my Facebook ads for me." Or why? And that's our first question. So if you ask a marketing agency that and they don't ask why, then sack them off. Um, and it's usually because, well, you know, I love Facebook. That's where everyone is. I read. And uh, loads of competitors, loads of my competitors are using Facebook ads. And all the research they will then naturally find will back up their belief. But ultimately, do you want Facebook ads or do you want whatever makes the tail ring? And generally speaking, it's the latter. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And I think... I think the self-confirming bias from a business owner's perspective is always going to be around what they think they want rather than their why. So, and this happens to me and you all the time, our why is a very deep-rooted, you know, it'll be legacy for our families, it'll be um, not growing up in our own shadow, that kind of stuff. And you end up getting into this short-term goal mentality of, oh, well, we haven't gained another client this month or we haven't uh, grown by 10% in the first quarter. And so then you start to go, well, what are our competitors doing that we're not doing? Or uh, what car does the director of our nearest rival drive that I need to drive? And you start to convince yourself of the things you need to do to overcome that short-term goal or hurdle. And, And the reality is, that if you get back to your why and look at the things that you were doing well to get you to where you are in the first place, they won't align with these short-term biases that that you might. So uh, a good example, Facebook ads, but another thing, nobody does any print marketing anymore because everyone's telling everyone that print is dead, which means that print is a massive opportunity for everyone, but that's a really unfashionable comment to make. Yeah, and most of the stuff your research will tell you that print is dead, don't bother doing print. Um, I see this a lot in the I think in the fitness industry. You know, I don't know, let's say 
let's say you you don't like carbs, not fussed about carbs. So everything you read about dieting will lead you down the keto route because that'll be, oh, look, and everything you then find will back up why the keto diet's great yeah. because you don't like carbs. Now, if you love carbs, if you're a, a bread monster and a pasta fiend, Sounds like me. You won't, you won't like the keto diet at all. And strangely, you'll soon be finding research, because that's how the algorithms work online, that they'll start showing you all these diets where you can eat loads of carbs. Yeah. And it's just massive in the fitness industry. And it's dieting's bloody, well, I can help. The, the diet I'm doing at the moment, holy shit, that's, uh, that's, that's not nice. No, no diets really are, which is why it's hard to, to market them. They've got to sound sexy. It's quite tricky to watch you do this. I'm not going to lie. I mean, this is going off on a tangent, but your entire lifestyle looks like a diet to me anyway. So then when you go on a, uh, a shred, it's like mind-boggling because you, I think you live quite a restrictive lifestyle anyway. Or you're just a supportive husband. That might be it. <laughs> it's hard when you've given up the booze because it's like, what do I have to look forward to tonight? As as, as you know, in addition to spending time with my lovely wife and children, obviously. But it's like you know, we think watching oh, cycling. Ah, oh, what's for dinner tonight? Oh, what should we do? Or should I stop here and get some? You know, should I stop and get a takeaway? Or should I stop and buy a steak? Whatever. No, it's all right. We got lentils for the well, next seven fucking days. But even before your shred, you you eat vegan maybe five days a week. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, you don't drink, like you say. You consume a lot more water than. The average person, I'd say, you exercise every day near enough in one way, one form or another. Um, so, what what bias led you to a shred? Oh, this has gone deep. That's 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 a really that's a really deep one, isn't it? Bloody hell! I think loads of diets are load of bollocks. The only way to lose weight, as you know, James Smith, you follow James Smith, you'll know on about. Is a calorie deficit. Yeah. No matter what diet you do, at the end of the day, you need to uh, burn off more calories than you consume. Um, and I suppose because we've had spells of naughtiness, or when I say naughtiness, I, I mean li- like literally eating a little bit of cake now and then. Um, my wife wants to lose a bit more weight. And so she's really, I mean, bloody hell, she's more single-minded than I am. So when she read about this eight-week shred thing, um, that's obviously going to put you in a calorie deficit. I think it starts off week one, 1,600 calories. By week eight, it's like 1,200. Um, yeah, I know. Well, that's how I, so when she started reading about sort of shreds and stuff, I was like, well, this, this sounds like we can do, we can do together. Then everything she's found has magically backed up why doing things in bursts can work. Not not all the time, obviously, because obviously there, there are lots of people that subscribe to diets, and once they stop and just go back to their old ways, obviously all the weight goes back on. Anton, yeah, that's Anton. That, that's me. If we're if we're being honest, like that's yo-yo me. diet as well. Oh, you've before. probably watched me do that twenty times in the last five years. Get down to near ideal weight, and then balloon back to. It's, yeah, I, I don't know what the giving up the booze is the easiest thing I think because well, not the easiest thing, but it's sustainable. Yeah. So it's like you say, this eight week trend, brilliant. But if we start, I don't know, eating cake and pasta and whatever, guess what? Weight's going to start going back on. Um, but I think this self-confirmed bias has been accentuated because of, like I mentioned, the algorithms. So yeah. once you start looking for stuff like, uh, I don't know, you start Googling, can I lose weight but still eat carbs? And so you start finding information about, about how carbs are, are good and how, yes, you can lose weight but still eat pizza and pasta then guess what? You'll start getting served content 
<laughs> like that, and it does become a self-confirming bias. Yeah. So you're like, look, look, Joel, I found another article about why why pasta and bread is a must for breakfast. Pasta for breakfast. Oh, I tell you, what's his name? James Digan. Um, the the clean, lean diet or something like that. But he's um, he's all about eat organic. So for him, like breakfast is like smoked salmon and scrambled eggs and stuff, and it's like, oh, bloody oh. yeah, really nice. He's got. I think he's opened a gym in Chelsea or something. Um, oily fish. That'd be the argument there. That's that's one that does the rounds all the time. It's like, oh, you can't eat oily fish. It's bad to you. It's full of fat. And then the next thing is, got to eat oily fish. It's good for your brain. And it depends which side of the fence you're on. I went out with a marine biologist many years ago, and she and she wouldn't eat fish. She'd start telling me all about mercury and all this stuff. And it was like, oh. I was having a chippy tea that night as well. Not because she loved fish, then. Just because. <laughs> Just, you don't it well. You, you know what fish swim in. It ain't rocket science. So I suppose you do need to limit your fish. But everything in moderation, as they say. Right. I've got a good topical example of this confirmation bias. So, my mum, double vaccinated though she is, uh, is quite wary of the vaccine and on the basis that, well, it can't possibly have been tested enough because of the amount of time it took them to develop it. And um, what's the, you know, some, sometimes depending on what mood she's in, it, what's, what's the ulterior motive of these vaccination companies and stuff? And she, she watched a video on YouTube, the, ah. the hub of um, accurate knowledge, and the guy in the video claimed to have worked for Pfizer I'm saying how dangerous it was. It's a new technology. You, it hasn't been tested. And and I, I was in the car at the time. I nearly crashed the car. <laughs> I said, do you think he really did work for Pfizer? Well, what do you mean? Why would he say it? Oh, my God. Uh, okay. And uh, have you Googled what he's saying? No. I'm like, well, Mum, I'm fairly sure mRNA vaccines have existed for 30 or 40 years. They're based on, you know, genetic tweaking and stuff and, and protein spikes. And that they've been tested for all sorts of diseases and ailments, including AIDS, blah, blah, blah. Well, where have you got that from? Oh, well, I was reading about... Um, Daily Mail. <laughs> yeah. And I said to her, well, I went down a rabbit hole and I was, I think they're called yellow flags. They might not be called yellow flags, so don't quote me. Again, confirmation bias. But when any new vaccine comes, I think any vaccine that exists, if an incident happens where someone has an adverse reaction or they die or their eye pops out or whatever, it's called a yellow something and it has to be recorded by Public Health England. So you can go on the government website and for any medication or vaccine, you can see the incidents. Right. And uh, that's why I went down the rabbit hole of mRNA vaccines to figure out how safe they are and actually... As a proportion of the amount of people vaccinated, there's hardly any of these events compared to, say, the flu jab right. or uh, yellow fever jab or, or whatever it might be. So I sent her all this documentation. So, well, this is what I've read, and I'm quite happy I've had the vaccine. And uh, it, it blew her mind because she would never have been exposed to that information had she not made the mistake of Blimey. bringing it up with me. And where I'm of the kind of mind, and I'm not saying, you know, there's plenty of people out there that won't have the vaccine. That's fine. What I am saying is I'm of the kind of mind that if I think something, I try and research around the topic to disprove that idea before making a decision, because that will mitigate my risk in decision making. And often as a business owner, the risks I take are higher than someone who's employed, let's say. So stuff is that sometimes yeah, in business you've got to go with your gut feeling. I read this quote from um, 
oh god some old Roman bloke Cicero or something saying about Julius Caesar that was no, it wasn't it you no know, it was the, the other one <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne um, it was something about uh, oh god I had it on my phone my phone's in the other room about indecision is, wor- is worse than making bad decisions that in- indecision is the thief of opportunity yeah and so sometimes business you, you have to make these these decisions based on your gut and make decisions quickly but also yeah you know just because Bob down the road or Sally and Scunthorpe tells you that oh you're a plumber you should be doing Facebook ads it's like well no do your research or speak to someone that will do the research for you. So when I go to, I don't know, a financial advisor, I'd like to think he offers me independent financial advice based around my budgets and goals rather than, oh, this is what you need to be doing, everything in pensions, because that's what he likes doing, pensions. It's like, no, I want what's best for me. That could be pensions. It might not. Yeah. And sometimes, again, spend the time doing your research or, again, just go to an expert and let them do the hard work for you. Yeah, exactly that. So if you're approaching a marketing company or a marketing agency, it's really important you go to them with your objective and the mistake people make is they go to them with what they think they want. Um, Now, a quick way to figure out if that agency or company is any good for you is when you go to them with your objective, if if their first question is, well, what do you want? Something's very, very wrong. And we see that all the time. Oh, I went to a marketing agency and I asked them to run my Facebook ads for me. And they did. It's already gone wrong at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And that's a really kind of brave move as a business owner to say, right, I need expertise that we haven't got in this business. But to do that, I need to be willing to relinquish some control and let them do what they think is best. If you're not willing to let that company do what they think is best, they're not the right company for you. Yeah. And and that's another difficult thing about being a business owner. Let's face it, you know, there's a bit of control freak in all of us. Otherwise, we'd just be working for someone else. But uh, to understand that responsibility of being able to let go, as long as you're kept in the loop regularly, of course. So, say for us, we have like monthly plan and review sessions. So, this is what's going on. This is what we're going to be doing. What's coming up next? Because otherwise you are just totally in the dark. So I can understand that sometimes, you know, any supplier, you might think, oh, I wonder what's happening with this service, but no one's been keeping in the loop. So I understand that. But if you're there micromanaging everything, it's going to be difficult. And I'd say that's probably going to be holding your business back because you'll be involved in literally every single aspect and you won't be working on the one thing that's going to help you, which is growing your business, working on your business, making it move forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky one that for for e- even us as business owners that uh, say we've got a legal situation that we want to sort out a contract a contractual situation. So there, there's a time in every business owner's life where you're like, oh, I'll see if I can find a template online and and I'll fill in the gaps. And then you reach a point at a certain size in business, and you're like, well, I, c- I can't really rely on that, but I'm it's a bit of a hammer blow to pay pay two grand for someone else to write it for me but that's the step you have to take at that point and that that could be marketing it could be your bookkeeping it could be the legal side of your business hr it could be uh taking on staff that you know deep down your business can't grow anymore unless you take the hit to bring someone in but unless you take the hit to bring someone in you'll you won't make that next step it's that yeah that investment 
Yeah. So I remember these uh, will writers. Sometimes I think that they've got the, the easiest jobs in the world in terms of marketing their business because uh, obviously the pain stacking you can do there immense. Um, but a will writer talk about you know giving him seven hundred quid, or you can go to W H Smiths and and buy a do it yourself will writing kit for I think like twenty quid. And obviously he was aware that loads of people will just oh, just go and buy twenty quid, just fill out the blanks, and there we go. It's like my God, so you're going to put. See, the, the livelihood of your family, your children, stepchildren, no matter who it might be, you're going to put your money in the hands of a, of a will-writing kit you've picked up for 20 quid from Smith's. And they, but you've got to accept there are some people who'd rather do that. There are some people who would rather spend days figuring out how to write up a contract themselves or spending weeks going on a, I don't know, a, a Facebook ads course or something. And don't get me wrong, we know people who've gone on social media courses and they've come away with a shitload of knowledge. Um, but, and as long as they're prepared to carry on... Application, yeah. A, applying it, absolutely, not getting bored in a couple of weeks. Or obviously, in something like Facebook ads, things change pretty quickly. And so what worked six weeks ago might not work now. So it's always got to be continual learning. Um, and, and like I say, it is taking that risk it's about being objective and thinking okay well i've heard that xyz would be good for my business and that's the content that i seem to be magically getting served now no i need to do my research properly into this or speak to an expert so i can make what's gonna what ultimately what i won't want at the end of the day is for the phone to ring more often yeah but i think that's something you know i Obviously, we do a marketing and mindset business podcast with the hope that people listen to this and consider us as their marketing company. However, if as an entrepreneur, sales and marketing or just sales or just marketing is is your key passion and the bit you're good at, it's the other elements you should be outsourcing. And and I'm okay with that. We won't be targeting, you're not our client avatar and that's, that's okay, that we want to attract business owners that the last thing they want to be doing is tweaking a Facebook ad on a Friday night because they would rather put that in experts' hands. But if if you are really, really passionate about the marketing side and that is how you've grown your business from day dot, then it's all the other bits that you need to seek expert advice for and keep doing the bit that you enjoy and you're passionate about and that makes the boat go faster. And often I think what confirmation bias can do is you end up in a situation where listening to what everyone else tells you you should be doing when actually you know that you sitting down for two hours every morning and writing down your your checklist for the day or tweaking your Facebook ads or uh, ringing around all your high-value clients is the single thing that makes the needle shifts the needle on your business and so therefore that's the thing you should be doing rather than listening to all the the noise around you was it Henry, Henry Ford again what you said if I'd asked everyone what they wanted they would have said a faster horse yeah and and we see I see this on LinkedIn at the moment LinkedIn I've got problems with at the moment it's just becoming clickbait central but a lot of people on LinkedIn ask me their opinions on something to do with their business and generally speaking the people connected to you are going to be supporting you and they'll be biased and they'll tell you lovely stuff that you really that's that's what you really want to hear rather yeah. than saying sorry Bob your video is actually shit you um and er all the way through it you haven't got a point um, it's way too long you're not really in focus properly and you don't take up a right proportion of the screen 
They're yeah. going to say, oh, Bob, well done for doing the video. Oh, I wish I had the guts to do a video. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Well done for doing that. And, so and that's not going to, that's lovely, but it's not going to help you. Three, four years ago, you and I probably would fall into that trap. We would ask the question of the wrong audience, not necessarily on LinkedIn, but certainly I was going to network groups and some of my peers were going to appease me rather than put me right. And the way, I, you know, both of us have solved that is we, we've got mentors. Uh, we've got a joint coach as well. And they are not people pleasers. They, they will tell you, I might not always agree with them, which is okay as well, but they will tell me straight. And I think you reach a point in, in any walk of life where, where you need that. And I think family are the worst. And I don't mean that in, in, in a bad way, but again, the bias they have, that they, they, they love you and want to support you. So, so even when, and, and this may even stop your business getting off the ground, you've got an awesome business idea. You're thinking about starting up a business for the first time and you ask your family, what do they think? Now, unless they're successful business owners themselves, chances are they'll be like, oh, you sure? are you sure pandemic hasn't probably gone away? Oh, you're probably going to need to use your savings. Oh, Jarvid, oh, there's a lot of stress being a business owner and you know what you're like, or oh, you better... And before you know it, all the joy is gone and, and you just go back to your day job. Yeah. And again, they, they mean well. They're just trying to support you. But again, asking opinions of everyone rather than seeking out an independent, unbiased third party or doing your proper due diligence. It's just going to be yeah. financially and emotionally so much better for you. And an- another one with family that... We've touched on this on the podcast before, but if you're struggling and you go home and you're, you know, you're clearly sad or upset or stressed, family will do that, put their arm around your thing and tell you everything's going to be all right. Equally, if you're thriving and you go home buzzing, they'll quickly bring you down a peg or two. But you need that grinding, but not necessarily when you're in a stage of business growth. You, you probably need someone who's going to give you a nudge to take it to the next level. And... So that's why family aren't always good. And equally, if, as a business owner, you're probably very often going to be surrounded by staff. The staff don't want you to come to them with the questions. They don't want to solve the problem as much as you do. So, yeah, you'll sit down with the management team and you should be employing experts that can help you solve some of the issues. But if you go to them and say, I don't know, we're really struggling on this account, what do you think, Apprentice, in terms of how we shift the strategy around on this? You're asking the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of, I mean, we talk about, you know, you're the product of the five people you spend the most time with or um, certainly be careful who your peers are and that kind of thing. But it's really true. If, if you're in the pub on a Friday night and you say to, to your mates, oh, I'm really struggling with getting over this hurdle and they can't relate to that ask yourself if you're in in the right environment or use that environment for another reason so if if you're there to switch off and those people help you switch off that's good that's a good enough reason but if you're there because you want moral support and those people can't provide that moral support you're not in the right audience yeah yeah, we're going deep again today aren't we but yeah i do do see this rife and it's it's ultimately people people just want to hear what they want to hear yeah. and they want to they I spoke, spoke to a guy this morning potential new client and he was looking for some help or something and the marketing agency spoke to go 
yeah, okay, so I understand what you need to put, you know, your website, hey, not to scratch. You need us to do your website as well, which is fair enough. That's usually the final link in, in the chain. Um, and so they did this whole new website, but basically the leads still were coming in and he was like 10 grand down or something. But because it all looked nice and, and shiny and bright colours and read pretty well, he was quite happy, but he hadn't really realised that, well, I'm getting all this traffic now, but it's not converting. And he hadn't thought about the whole story. He was sort of sold on the whole the whole bias out there about, we see it right in our industry, that it, it's the likes, it's the follows, it's the pretty pink diamonds that fly. No, no, it's, it's all fucking style. There's no substance behind it. Who cares if your website traffic went up 50%? If your inquiries went down 50%, I'm not saying your website has to look like shit, but, it, but it's got to work. And that's on a mission this bloody year to, to make business owners see that your, your marketing has to have purpose. And that Substance, doesn't mean yeah. a hard-hitting sales message behind every post. No, of course not. Like, don't just spam everyone. But if you just look through your feeds or look on your website, and yeah, it all looks really pretty. Put yourself in a, someone else's shoes, potential customer, your customer avatar shoes. And think, right. Am I now more or less likely to buy? That's a hard question to ask yourself. Yeah, I had that exact chat with the team this morning. We were talking about uh, social media content. And I said, if we're putting social media content out there and it doesn't move that business towards their final objective, in one way or another, we're doing them a disservice. And, and we talked about, you know, that might be positioning. That might be a call to action. That might be... Um, some form of entertainment that that just brings a smile mm. to the face of the right yeah. person. It might be something that informs the audience that they otherwise wouldn't have known. But all these things that when someone posts a picture of their cat and it's got no context or relevance to their business, their objectives, they are just fishing for engagement. This is LinkedIn again. Well, it, it is. But I'm not afraid. To, I, I use quite often use pictures of my dog on my LinkedIn because I know it will grab engagement. But what I then do on top of that is put something informative or entertaining or useful within the post. So I use the dog as the hook to grab the engagement. But then when you actually read, there is um, some substance to what I'm doing where a lot of people will be like, isn't my cat silly? What a start to the day. What use is that to anyone? All I know now is that you're a crazy cat person. And I think half of them, will be crazy cat people. And I think another half will be, in their own naive way, deliberately trying to cheat the algorithm. Every time I post a cat picture, it gets loads of engagement. Oh, that's pretty, I'll do more of that. And that's almost, I think that's going to be the undoing of LinkedIn, to be honest, because I think there'll be a migration of, not serious business owners, I'm not saying people who post cat pictures aren't serious about their business, but the, the world will be crying out for, a more business orientated yeah and I'm pretty anti saying oh this isn't Facebook which I know is something that's done their hands for a couple of years because I think a social media platform is whatever the audience wants it to be that's that's the risk you have with building a social media platform but we saw it with Facebook that people started to disengage with the feed it's it's a lot less of a noisy place than it was four years ago and we're going to see it with LinkedIn that people will get to a point where they're like, well, I've seen this content before. This isn't helping me either on a personal social level or a business level. And the the sort of confirmation biases that you get to a point where it, 
stuff gets regurgitated so many times that people stop believing it. It, it they stop seeing the point of it. Um, I, me- I remember when, when remember when Instagram launched and all you saw was pe- pictures of people's dinner. Oh God, yeah. And it took a long time for them to get away from that. Yeah, I find it hard. Um, pe- people who use social media to rant, which is okay, okay, that's fine. Everyone needs to rant once in a while. Sometimes it can be like just ranting into the dark. But people like sharing all their woes. Now, I hope for the f- I hope firstly that they're actually sharing their woes with real life people, friends in their network who who can support them and g them up when they need it. But when that's the majority of your posts and you can see a ton of engagement, it almost seems to be a competition now. If it's your hook, you've got something. To- because the reason to share woes on a business level, I'm not talking about if you share a woe in a Facebook group or something like that, or a LinkedIn group, mm. that might be a sensible place. But you share a woe on your company LinkedIn page to show how you overcame that woe, and it makes you more relatable from a marketing standpoint. It's like, oh, bloody hell, I've been through that too. Maybe I can overcome it if I speak to you guys. But what we're seeing is people sharing the woe and then basically saying, has anybody else gone through this? Which isn't the same. You're creating the relatability, but without the solution. So all you're doing is compounding the problem. And I find that a really peculiar thing to do from, you know, from someone who understands mental health more than others, I would like to think, which would be claim. <laughs> but compounding your issues isn't wise. Seeking solace in, in, in others probably is, but doing that to your 800 followers on LinkedIn. I'm, yeah, I find it. And when, but when you see that kind of engagement, I think it's very easy for a lot of business to think, oh, this is the way forward. Yeah. So when I've had a bad day, or when it is uh, Casper the Cat's third birthday, I'll do a post about that. And, and to be honest, we talk a lot. I mean, maybe that we should do another podcast about vanity metrics. Again, it's the whole numbers game about, oh, look, I got 50 likes on that post. I'll Great. You, How many of those bought off you? I'll give you a prime example. And this is risky because if she listens to this, she's going to be pissed. But I, your mum again? No. Oh. But I don't feel like we're getting our point over as distinct. I'm not saying you can't have problems. Everyone's got problems. And I'm not saying you shouldn't share them with the right people. You should. But um, somebody famous passed away last week. So I won't go into too many details. Oh. Somebody famous passed away last week oh. from cancer. And someone who's relatively well-known in local business circles where we are posted, so sad that such and such passed away from cancer. And then straight away, my dad passed away from cancer, blah, 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 blah. And it was like, hang on, you've taken what is quite, well, a very sad event and certainly sad for a lot of people who followed this person. And you've... You've used all that momentum, not obviously not all of it, you've used a lot of that momentum within your circles to switch the attention to you on something sad that happened to you. So I, yeah, I just can't comprehend that. I, I don't know what I don't know what that does on a personal level, on, on a business. All it is is attention grabbing. I can't imagine like someone famous on a dying from like heart disease and me turning to a post about oh, because that's what happened to my old man. Hmm. It's it's yeah, I, I, I've seen um, I've seen quite a few posts along those lines. I've seen quite a few posts about this 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 person's passing, and some of people again genuinely want to share what sad news and it, and it is. But when you try and turn it 
about you or you try and get oh god <laughs> um well, remembrance day yeah um last year so people obviously you know um remembering people who, who, who sacrificed or paid the ultimate price and obviously something we, we, we believe in we're, we're passionate about this company did were they a poppy uh, company <laughs> Sorry, I just needed, not, to, needed to lighten yeah, the tone. Not related to poppies at all. Um, did a, a, a big post, a big picture about remembering our fallen, and then he splashed in the middle, if you want a taxi, call us on. Oh, what? It's like, holy fuck. Just, <laughs> I, can't, I can't be honest. Like, I mean, it's completely disgraceful, but it's so bad that I quite like it. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, it's just like... Remember, and it's like you you turn it into. <laughs> remember the fallen, uh, remember. and remember once you finish your kebab, <laughs> dial o one two two. Oh dear, it's. I mean, we've seen quite a few people take days and spin it to be all about themselves because, oh, because I had a bad day as well. I mean, the whole Caroline Flack thing that was just, oh, just yeah. so 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 sad. Um, what seemed to be like an absolutely lovely person and, it, and what that should have become is an awareness of mental health which some people like Ollie Muir's and, and people like did really brilliant some, stuff some really and it was just just sad to see some people like just again innocently I'm sure naively just not seeing the point and to turn it like because I've had a bad day too yeah <clears throat> where yeah. to point out if you're in that place absolutely find whatever way you can to get your message out there to speak to people and we're not talking about you we're talking about the people who they see news like Caroline Flack and then they use that to grab attention for themselves that's just bad (laughs) so back to confirmation bias and Mm. and to summarize what's the most stupid thing you've ever been led to believe because of confirmation bias Oh goodness me! I've got a good one. If you're struggling, I was gonna. I was gonna say it was actually about um, about Facebook ads because generally speaking, I, I, oh, yours is far more sensible than mine. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Let's um, do yours. <laughs> okay, so so Facebook ads they can work for most businesses. We use them for probably pretty much every client, but that doesn't mean that's the only paid-for route you go down. Pretty much every client will use Facebook ads, but will also use some other type of ad, and we will split test. We will follow the numbers. Now, our our long experience in the game will enable us to start in a very good place for the client anyway, yeah. so we'll be able to make an experienced judgment call of where to start. But the numbers ultimately matter more than our knowledge and experience. Mm. So if it turns out that, look, Facebook ads are working really well, but the LinkedIn ca- ads campaign we're doing for them is working even better. Holy shit. Well, let's divert more budget to the LinkedIn ad yep. campaign. So Facebook ads, awesome. The, uh, a huge marketing pillar for most of the businesses we help grow, but they ain't the be-all and end-all. Oof. But most places you read will say, you must be doing Facebook ads. You must be doing Facebook ads. Well, okay. What about the open your eyes so that are there other forms of paid-for advertising that could work for me? That was very sensible. That was sensible. What's yours? Or you're silly then. Um, so at school, <laughs> is this another bloody church stretching horror story? No, no. In assembly, uh, you'll oh, have heard this one. Horror stories. What's that fear? What's it? Fear Street. 
No idea what that is. So, so three Fridays in a row, Netflix released three films. Fear Street, 1994. Fear Street, 1974, I think. And then Fear Street, 1678. Yeah. And it's about this town in America where um, some mad witch died in the 1600s, but basically reincarnated different people. So it's just full of like all these mad, crazy deaths and serial killers and shit. All set in these three different time periods, but with a link between. So we've only seen the first one now, set in 94. So it's all Pixies music and stuff, really cool. Lots of, you know, retro pop stuff. Um, and then we're going to watch the next one um, uh, tonight, I think, which is set in 19... 78 or something and it's got the the red-headed girl from strange things three two and three mad max yeah she plays a lead um but yeah really cool really cool sort of high school horror what the hell have you got onto that because you were talking about horror st- horror school story oh no you said is this you you led it oh, with your confirmation is this going to be a horror story no we're seeing it it <laughs> came out recently uh, so i'll tell you let me on something else now there's a girl who's who's in um who's got Decent-ish role in Fear Street 1994. And I was like, Emma's like, oh, she's in Stranger Things, which I would... Ah, uh, yeah, she's the, the ice cream girl in Stranger Things 3. Looked her up. Do you know who I mean? Yeah. Do you know whose daughter she is? Someone very famous, I'm guessing. Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter. Oh, I did know that, yeah. yeah I was like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. I did know anyway, that. Anyway, totally sidetracked there. Okay, well, this isn't a horror story, and... So, but you'll have definitely heard this urban legend or whatever it is. So, our deputy head teacher stood up in front of the whole school, so 600 people or whatever, it wasn't a massive school, said, oh, uh, the story of how Coca-Cola turned Father Christmas red and told us this story. And then if you Google it, if you go on loads of articles telling you how Coca-Cola used to be green or turned something. red, Santa used to be green, yeah. Absolute bollocks. Absolute nonsense. He's been all sorts of different colours, brown, green, red, blue. Um, but red was a very prominent version of him in all sorts of things when he was St. Nicholas, when he's Santa Claus, when he's Father Christmas, when he's whatever else he's called. And obviously that aligned with Coca-Cola's brand, so they used the red version and popularised it in the United States and therefore the rest of the world. At no point did they turn Father Christmas red. But confirmation, just because someone... Senior to us in, in secondary school. I believe that. Until, yeah, I believe that until my mid-twenties. And when I researched it to check, there was plenty of stuff out there that backed up what I was saying. But actually, not true. Bloody hell. But then, and then, well, come, come back to those sort of LinkedIn conversations. We all want to hear things that we think are true, that, that are nice, and that reassure us that, yes... We're right, we're smart cookies, Joel. Yeah. That's what people want that's what people want to hear. They they want that pat on the back. Yeah. yeah. And if the internet